Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. Georgia's going into this week playing Kentucky, looking to get a, get the bad taste of last week's loss to South Carolina out of their mouth. We're going to cover the Georgia-Kentucky game, talk about what we expect, who we expect to stand out, all of that stuff. we got a little bit more to talk about concerning the South Carolina loss, and we're going to start off with that. Uh, but guys, before we get into it, how's the week going for you guys? And, and uh, I know sometimes with three of us, it's hard to tell who goes first. But Kip, what's going on with you, man? The weather. It's it's getting a little colder. It's, um, you know, it, it, it really makes it that much more enjoyable to be out there with the smoker. And now it's it's fire pit season now. So I just, you know, more time on the back deck, enjoying it. But uh, right now, I mean, it feels pretty cold. So this weather change, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, we've been dealing with 90 degree temperature now. We're dealing with 60 degree temperature. And then this weekend, we, you know, we, it seemed like we went a whole month without it raining a single day. And, and now it's, you know, starting to come in every day, looking like it's going to come in this weekend. So uh, you know, that's the thought that's been on, on my mind this week is just how, how crazy the weather seems to be lately. Yeah, uh, I think 100% chance of rain for this Georgia-Kentucky game. Uh, winds up to 20 miles an hour, so uh, that'll be interesting to follow. Uh, Rusty, what's up with you, man? Same thing, weather. You know, I, I love summer. I mean, that, that I've always, that's my favorite season. I love it. Man, I was ready for it to be over with. I mean, it stole a month from us, in my opinion. Uh, September was uh, September was hotter than July, from what I think I read, so... The weather's been great. Um, you know, looking forward to some big games in the state tonight. Uh, you know, all the eyes are on, you know, for high school football fans, all the eyes in the country will be on Marietta and McEachern, which is a huge game. But, you know, there's Cartersville versus Sandy Creek. I think that's one versus two. Um, I'm actually going to go see my old school play tonight. They're the Fox 5 game of the week. And See those kids play Pepper Rock Mart, but there's a lot of good games in high school football. The weather's finally here. Beautiful day today. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but tomorrow in Athens looks looks unlike. I mean, it, you're having flashbacks of that mid '90s Texas Tech game when Heinz Ward dies over the end zone in a in a, a freaking hurricane. So see what the weather's like tomorrow. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But but I'm with Kip, man. Good weather uh, finally here. It feels like football season to me. Man, I opened up the door this morning to let the dog out, and I and and I think it was like forty degrees, and I was just like, "Oh my goodness gracious!" Like, dude, I got this hoodie I wear around the house, and I I wait year round to be able to put that thing on. It's the most comfortable hoodie ever, and it's ugly. It's purple. I bought it. I bought it covering a. Uh, I went in like January to cover one of those golden arm. Uh, 
quarterback camp type things, and there was a Coles right across the street, and I uh, went and bought this thing, and it's like electric purple. So I don't really wear it out in the public because it's ugly. But, uh, but man, I love putting that thing on. And I got it on right now, actually. And, uh, I, yeah, so I, the first thing I think of when it gets cool enough to throw the hoodie on is let's go get that thing and put it on. And, and that's kind of how kind of how I operate pretty quirky as far as that goes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm excited about this fall weather. Let's, let's close the book on the South Carolina loss from a podcast standpoint. I, I wrote a story earlier this week uh, over at Dogs 24-7 about uh, you know closing the book on it and kind of what it meant. But I've had a lot of questions uh, on the, whether on the board, whether direct message, whether talking to the Georgia fans that I know uh, about you know the Georgia's regular season losses the last three years. And it was Auburn 40-17 to, to 17, um, at Auburn in 2017. It was uh, uh, LSU last year, 36-16 in Baton Rouge. And then you've got this year, South Carolina. You know, those, those two teams were really good football teams. And you got South Carolina who came into this game 2-3. and three. They're 3-3 three and three now after beating Georgia. Georgia loses 20-17 in double overtime. And, and I felt like we all kind of needed to share our perspective on this. Is it that different? Because everybody wants to make it seem that way, that it's, that it's more embarrassing because South Carolina is not quite as good and that it was at home than losing and getting your pants pulled down by, by those other teams. Rusty, do you see it as that big of a difference? Is there that big of a difference in, in, in losing to South Carolina the, the way they lost it as opposed to those other two teams? No, because what, what, those, what those losses did, 2017, when Georgia lost to Auburn, it made every single game the rest of the year a playoff game for Georgia. And that's reality. Every game the rest of the year was a playoff game. When they lost to LSU, every single game was a playoff game. Now, every single game is a playoff game. You can, you can point fingers, do this, do that. The, the result is the same. You have a loss, an SEC loss. This time, it's an SEC East loss. Every game from now on is a playoff game. And that's, we could talk about this the rest of the show. But in my opinion, they all have the same result. And they put you in the same situation. It doesn't matter if you lose to Alabama 31-30. to It was a loss. And it knocked you out. Georgia, with another loss, gets knocked out uh, of the playoff, in my opinion. I, I can't see any other way around it. So every game, like the last two years, is now a playoff. Well, I mean, the only way Georgia's getting in with another loss is if absolute chaos ensues. And there's time for that to happen, but It'd it's probably crazy. not going to happen. Crazy. I mean, it's no. just, not, just not something we've seen. And, you know, yeah, there are more teams, I feel like, this year that, that have a chance to win the title, that, that there are going to be some teams that are – you know, going to be ranked sixth, sixth or seventh, or maybe even eighth uh, when the when the final college football playoff thing happens. Uh, but uh, that that would probably have a chance to win that could beat whoever's in there. But I think when you start to get outside of that eight, that that the idea that chaos is going to ensue from here on out, I just don't see it happening either. So I'm with you on that. The only, uh, Kim, only let me say ahead. the only thing I'll finish on that is with with you talking about chaos is the way I think things are going to unfold. Oklahoma's going to play Texas again, okay? And I think Wisconsin and Ohio State are going to play twice. 
So there's a lot of variables still left in that part of it. Uh, but, but really and truthfully, you take the SEC champion, in my opinion, you take Clemson, and two spots are taken. Two spots are taken right now, in my opinion, because I do not see Clemson losing a game in ACC. But there's, there's some potential for some other things to shake out. I, I do agree there. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. Uh, Kip, what's your view of this loss, and, and is, it, is it any different than, than the ones Georgia lost the last couple of years? Well, the, the one thing that kind of stands out, just the fact that, you know, Georgia still has six games left to play. Uh, you know, it, it just it is a little interesting. As, as we've said, now the margin of error is gone. You're going to have to get this team ready to play each week. And, I mean, again, that's kind of the thing that stood out to me is, is hearing those quotes from Kirby Smart about how he, he didn't like how the team looked in warm-ups, you know, just kind of points out that noon kickoff, you know, really, really haunted Georgia. You know, they just did not come out and play inspired football. And now they've got to play inspired football every single week the, the, the rest of the season. So, you know, I mean, I, I do think there is some difference between uh the, the other losses but it also i mean this is that's what adds more intrigue to this season is that now georgia they gotta they have to be the georgia everyone thought that they would be every single week moving forward and i do think that you know south carolina did sh- you know show some things against georgia that other teams i mean they, they kind of had that blueprint that we actually had seen a little bit earlier against tennessee and other games that you know, Georgia's got some things it needs to work on moving forward, but at the same time, you know, that that game, that was about as bad a Georgia performance as you can get, and they still almost won the game. You know, if if Rodrigo hits the overtime field goal or if he gets a chance in regulation, you know, Georgia comes out with a win, and, and people aren't really discussing, you know, that game as much anymore. You don't really talk about these these close wins toward the end of the season, if, if you perform well, you know, if you're able to go 11 and 1, 12 and 0, like you're, you're not talking about this game as much. Obviously, you know, everyone's focusing on it now, but really, it, you know, Georgia wasn't supposed to really be in that position in the first place against South Carolina. And so, you know, I, I think that it was more Georgia you know, just not showing up the way they should and having a, you know, having a stinker out there than this being a true issue moving forward. So I, I do think that, you know, in that sense, there are some similarities because in those those last couple of losses you guys are mentioned against LSU, against Auburn, I mean, Georgia came back after those losses and played really inspired football. And, and I still think there's an opportunity for that to happen moving forward. They're just going to have to do it the entire rest of the season if they want to have, you know, right that, you know, meet those expectations they had going into the season. Yeah, I kind of look at it like this. I don't think Georgia played much, if any, poorer than it did in those losses to LSU and, and Auburn. Uh, I just think they played a worse team, and that's why it was close. And and you look at – I mean, listen, if Georgia plays that played that way against Auburn or played that way against Florida, and I'll point out again, it's the only time we've seen Georgia play that poorly this year. This is not like there's any reason to believe this is who Georgia is. Now, if they do it again, then I mean, maybe maybe you start to think that. Maybe, you, maybe that's when you kind of come around on it. But as of right now, this is kind of a one-game thing. And I think if they played that way against a, a better football team, they'd probably get beat up a little bit 
a lot like they did against Auburn and LSU. They, South Carolina didn't run Georgia out of the stadium. It outplayed Georgia. Georgia gave it four gifts in terms of turnovers, and Georgia still had a chance to win the game. That's not a moral victory. That's just analyzing how this happened. And okay. and I don't think when, when you look at – the loss to LSU or the or the loss to, to Auburn, that those losses were any more impressive. I mean, listen, man, if you look at the national perception of, of those losses, uh, you know, I look back at that Auburn game, and for two straight weeks, you know, Georgia had to come back the next week and, and clinch the SEC East by beating Kentucky, and they did it. Uh, but but I remember the conversation going into the, to the SEC championship that game that year, and, you know, some people gave Georgia a chance to win that game, but a lot of people said they couldn't see it because of how poorly Georgia played against Auburn the first time. They, 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 were, they kept referencing, hey, I saw the first Georgia-Auburn game, and I don't think there's any way that Georgia team can beat that Auburn team. And Georgia came out and did that, and it lets you know that, listen, that was a poor performance, not who Georgia was. And so I think that there's a good chance we're looking at the same scenario here, that the South Carolina game was a poor performance, and it's not who Georgia is. Now, you know, I don't think Georgia got exposed. I, I hate that word almost as much as I, you know, as as I hate, you know, the whole overuse of freak, freakish, and or freak talent and and stuff like that. Simply because when you start talking about a team getting exposed, you're talking about a team that can just be beaten that way year in and year out. Well, guess what was said about Georgia after the LSU and Auburn games? They had been exposed, and turns out they weren't really exposed. They just played bad, and so. Kirby Smart gets paid a lot of money to to make sure that this team, and I said this before, makes to make sure this team, if it does hiccup, and and you never want it to. I mean, you Kirby does never wants this team to play like it did on Saturday. Georgia fans never wanted to play that way on Saturday. Kirby does everything in his power to keep that from happening. But when it does happen, moving forward, he he's he's one of the highest paid coaches in college football because. It's his job to make sure that team doesn't show up and that Georgia continues to get better. And and if Georgia does that, then I don't really have any concerns about you know Georgia getting run out of the stadium or getting exposed or or anything like that. I think Georgia can beat Florida. It can beat Auburn. Kentucky comes first, but I think it can beat those teams. And and that's what it all comes down to. And and it all comes down to that making the necessary tweaks you need to make as a coaching staff whether it's personnel, whether it's you know some of the stuff in the passing game that we pointed out this week earlier in X's and O's, because you know there are some things where you look at pass routes and pass patterns, and Georgia's got three guys outside the numbers on one side of the field, two guys outside the numbers on the other side of the field, and in the middle of the field, 75% of the field is wide open with with no Georgia player even threatening it. You know, those are some things you've you got to clean up as a coaching staff. And and Coaches, in a lot of ways, are like players, all right? They're not immune to having a bad plan or getting in a funk or, you know, whatever, or kind of outthinking themselves. And so, you know, they, they improve as the season goes along, too. You look at some of the coaches out there, even at previous jobs, where they didn't have a lot of success, and then they learned from some mistakes, and then they figured it out. The loss can have the same effect on the coaching staff as it does – a player and 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 I look back at last year after that LSU game. You guys know what happened after that LSU game last year? Georgia started snapping off big plays in the run and they started getting more explosive in the passing game. They got more efficient on the passing game and they became darn near unstoppable on third down. Those were all because of adjustments made and because of of focus being heightened for execution. 
And I just don't see this as something that that necessarily, I mean, it could, I'm not saying it doesn't, but there are some people just taking it hook, line, and sinker. This is what Georgia is. This is what the way it is because they didn't lose to a team this poor the last couple of years. So this one's big time different, and this this is more of an indication of what Georgia is. And I just don't know that we can say that yet. And, and I mean, w- w- I guess we kind of discussed it a little bit on the previous podcast, but with some days to think about it, do you guys feel the same way? I mean, is it – is this who Georgia is, or, or is there a reason to believe that you know that there's a better team and, and we'll see it going forward? Jake, I'll say this real quick, and Kip can answer his. South Carolina, correct me if I'm wrong, was never in the red zone during regulation. They were never in the red zone. Yeah. And they won the football game. Okay? That tells you some things happened. And, you know, look, that, no, there's no way anybody on this, this staff on this site, can sure coat that was a terrible, that was a terrible, terrible, terrible loss. But I cannot see that as who this team is and, and how they perform the rest of the year. Whatever happened, I don't know. But when South Carolina doesn't get on the red zone and they win a game at Georgia, something happened, and Georgia definitely helped things from turnovers. Don't get me wrong, South Carolina forced some things, and they played great. They played great. That, that's another thing is, is you know, great. South Carolina played. It's one of its best games of the year, especially on the defensive side. Georgia played one of its poorest, and, and Georgia was in that ball game. Again, not not a moral victory, but analysis here. Sure. And, I, I mean, and I heard Mark Stoop say it yesterday. On, on, I was listening to him on Sirius Radio. He said after he faced South Carolina, he knew if they could get some things working offensively, they were going to be a problem because their defensive line and the length of their secondary. And, you know, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying South Carolina's a little bit better than what everybody kind of thought. And then Georgia did not play great at all. And that's what happened. Yeah, and you've got a lot of people out there loving Missouri right now when Missouri did basically worse than what South Carolina did in, in the first week of the season with, with that loss. Now, Missouri did go on to beat up on South Carolina game two or three right there with a with a freshman quarterback. But, you know, one of South Carolina's losses came to Alabama, and and you know they they really did kind of trade punches with Alabama there for a half, and that's probably the way you saw this game playing out for Georgia too. Uh, but but Georgia made too many mistakes to trade punches with them, and that's what ended up happening. I, I just I, I don't know. Call me. I, I try to keep it in the road. I try to keep it in the middle of the road, just because I feel like that's the safest place to be, and. When you look at this, I think there's a much better chance that Georgia fixes some things on offense, that Georgia plays better and executes better from here on out, and that this team is more focused and more inspired than there is that, wow, the South Carolina game is just going to send Georgia on this you know, spiral out of control. And, and I guess that's just kind of the way I look at it. And, and you know, past indications kind of support – past – the history of it indicates that, that that there's some support for that, that Georgia's 7-0 and after a loss in the regular season past two years under Kirby Smart. We'll see if they can go 6-0 and this year. Let's take a quick break and uh, let, let these folks read some ads to you, and then we're going to come back on the other side and we're going to talk about Georgia, Kentucky. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. Now, breaking down this Kentucky game, and there's been so much to unpack from the South Carolina loss that I think we can all agree that there hasn't been as much time to get familiar with Kentucky this week as we normally would. I did see Kentucky play two games earlier this year, one against South Carolina, one against Florida. Uh, speaking of which, going off on a little bit of a rabbit trail, you know, Florida needs everything it can get to beat Kentucky, everything it can be, be, get to beat Miami, and now all of a sudden Florida is head and shoulders better than Georgia, but that's neither here or there. It's just kind of the you know, what losses and what disappointment does with folks. Uh, but but looking at this Kentucky game and and how big it is and, and what you want to see from Georgia in this game, Kip, what what's kind of uh, what, what are you kind of eyeballing as you look at this? And and if you don't mind, throw in some, you know, a player or two that that you feel like um, Georgia has a chance to to really show up and play well for Georgia. Well I think right off the bat defensively I mean, Georgia's got to have a spy on Lynn Bowden. I mean, they're they're talking about how Sawyer Smith might be ready to go in this game as well, but you got to prepare for Lynn Bowden after seeing what he was able to do in a must-win game for Kentucky last week, putting on his best Randall Cobb impersonation. I mean, he is the go-to guy in this offense. He's what makes it run, whether he's playing wide receiver or he's playing quarterback. So you got to key in on him. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that involves. You know, if if that's something Monty Rice can do, if you want to use Tay Crowder in that role, or or, or maybe you know you, you use your your star guy out there and you know you, you put him on there, whether that's Mark Webb, you know, whoever it is, I think you gotta you gotta have someone keen on him to make sure that you know he it does not break off big runs against you guys. I mean, uh, Georgia again has not allowed that rushing touchdown. This season, that is that one streak they still have intact. And, you know, he's a guy that can definitely end that streak quickly. He's very athletic. But, I mean, I'm just going to stay on it. I mean, the, the what I'm looking to see is, is more explosion on this offense. But specifically in this game, since I'm not sure this is the kind of game where, where George is going to push the ball downfield or – you know, and try to attack the middle of the field. I think you gotta you gotta get those explosive plays out of the backfield, and, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean, there there are Kentucky's second line of defense. I mean, there's some guys that you can kind of exploit there and or, and uh, and take advantage of. You know, some inconsistencies there in Jamar Watson and and DeAndre Square. And you get to that second level, you can break off those big chunks of yardage that you want. And so for me, I mean, I'll, I'll go right back to it. I mean, more touches for James Cook. I'll keep pounding that drum until I see it happen and, and he doesn't make it happen and gives me a reason to think he can't be that guy for them. Georgia, I I take that O-line group and, and, you know, call to action here, you know. It, this is a, a matter of pride. All the press clippings that everyone, you know, everything George, that was said about Georgia's offensive line, it didn't happen last week. The interior line did not play well. I mean, you know, I know that now you got some guys you've had to shuffle around. Cade Mays at left guard, you know, Ben Cleveland at right guard, Trey Hill at center. These guys have to improve the quality of play if Georgia's going to be able to have an efficient offense, if Jake Fromm's going to be able to be comfortable back there, and if they're going to be able to keep these defenses on their toes, it's going to be because those three guys in the middle, you know, they come to play and they play well. 
because that's I mean that offense bogged down whenever they couldn't get anything going with those guys and so I mean let's see, see some toss sweeps you know let's see some attacking the outside of Kentucky's defense and let's see James Cook get more than five touches let's get him in the double digits and see what he he can do you know you gave and the last week, Zamir White got a lot of run. Uh, obviously, DeAndre Swift should always be part of the game plan. But I, I think it's 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 re- it's time now to, to see what Cook can do in an offense when he's you know maybe that number two guy this week. And I think for Georgia, it just gives them another look, another wrinkle, and something else that the the opposing defenses have to take advantage of. And so you know you have a wide receiver group that's down a couple guys. You know, no Lawrence Cager out there. You know, it would really, you know, help them as far as their confidence is concerned if someone else is, you know, coming up with a couple big plays. And so I'll keep I'll keep harping on James Cook to be the guy until he shows me a reason he's not. And I think he has a chance to to, to score a couple touchdowns for Georgia and, to, you know, spark that offense right now. And it's an offense that, you know, outside of that Arkansas State and, and Murray State game, I think they're averaging like. 26 and a half points a game so it's just something where you need to get them going you need to get some points on the board and he's a guy that can get it done against a, a Kentucky defense that is pretty strong up front Calvin Taylor I mean again we saw Javon Kinlaw and what he can do Calvin Taylor's a pretty solid player for the Wildcats and a guy that's going to challenge uh, this o- offensive line for Georgia on the inside and he's got a couple good teammates and uh, TJ Carter and Quentin Bohanna as well, who can play pretty well. So another solid interior line uh, testing Georgia's offensive line. So that's really what I'm watching, you know, after a poor performance by that group last week. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and and talk about kind of what I'm looking for here before I pass it off to Rusty. Guys, Kentucky has allowed five yards of carry in every single game that it's played against an SEC team this year. It allowed a little over five yards of carry against Florida, over six against Mississippi State and Arkansas, and 5.37 yards of carry against South Carolina. In those four games, Kentucky has given up 11 rushing touchdowns. I like this Kentucky defensive line. I think Quentin Bohanna uh, and and Calvin Taylor, who, you know, Calvin Taylor strikes me as the kind of guy that has a solid college career, and I think he sticks around in the NFL for about eight to ten years because he's just he's a guy that's from the state of Georgia, wasn't much of a prospect coming out, great evaluation by Kentucky, and they've developed him into a good football player. The depth is not there, and I think it's high time that we see this Georgia team, and this is what I'm looking for, come out, hit a team in the mouth offensively with that offensive line, and really control the line of scrimmage. To really, I mean, they've worn some. They've worn some teams down. They did it against Tennessee, and and I think some of that had to do with Aubrey Solomon going out of that game. Really talented defensive tackle, another guy from the Peach State there. But but I'm I think Georgia in this game has a chance to come out and get it started early to get the run game started quickly. Uh, you know, De- DeAndre Swift has been tremendous against Kentucky in his career, so I think there's a good chance that Georgia can come out and do that on the defensive side. Man, I couldn't be more with you on on Lynn Bowden, and here's why. So you've got your Ian Books out there, and and maybe even maybe even your Deshaun Watson types. Um, uh, you, you've you've got good mobile quarterbacks. There are mobile quarterbacks, and then there's the guy that is an a big time wide receiver, kickoff and punt returner, 
who is back there playing quarterback. And Kirby Smart made a great point this week. He said, you know, you're, you're sitting here and you're game planning against a guy on special teams because he's a great punt returner. Well, you deal with that four or five times a game. Lynn Bowden is dropping back every single time behind the line with 10 blockers. You're having to defend against him in a punt and kick return situation with him getting the ball easier and you not having a coverage and a way to keep it away from him every single snap. He compared him to Heinz Ward when Heinz Ward played quarterback for Georgia just because of the different ways he can make plays. This is a next-level athlete touching the football every play. And while, yeah, you're, you're pretty confident that he's not going to hurt you in the passing game, I mean, Randall Cobb had one hell of a game against Georgia back in the day at, with his arm. Uh, but, but I do think that that is the big key for Georgia defensively. The Bulldogs are going to have to have a really good game plan. I think you run different guys at him, whether it's Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson and company on third down. Uh, you, you look at, you know, I like the idea that you brought up about that star slash nickel position. Maybe you sacrifice some coverage to to make sure that you've got a guy that can kind of hang with him and, and keep him in front of you. Uh, but but I think Georgia fans need to prepare themselves for the fact that on second and nine, he drops back to pass and and nobody's open and, and a defensive line misses lineman misses him and he outruns a linebacker and he's going to get some yards. That's just what's going to happen because it's really tough to do that. Now, will it be enough? I, I really don't think so. I think that Kentucky is – I mean, obviously, from what we saw on the field, Kentucky is not as good as South Carolina. But I do think that Kentucky can can frustrate Georgia a little bit on the offensive side, and I think it starts with Lynn Bowden and his ability to run the football. I'm going to go with the offensive and defensive player that I'm really keeping my eye on in this game. Um, I think that George Pickens is getting ready to put together a really big game. And I say that because Lawrence Cager's out. He's coming off a seven-catch, 98-yard performance against South Carolina. I think George Pickens gets behind the defense this week. I think he goes over 100 yards, catches six, eight, six, eight balls and, and a touchdown. I think he kind of announces his presence in a way that he hasn't quite yet. I mean, he's had some good games, but I see this as a big-time breakout game for him. Wouldn't shock me if if he really put up some big yardage numbers in this one because Kentucky's secondary is well coached, but it's nowhere near as talented as it was last year when it had guys like Mike Edwards and Lonnie Johnson and and uh, and and West and those guys. I, I really think that that it's an exposable secondary and one Georgia can get after. And I that's that's despite the fact they've had some pretty good numbers. I just think that they've had a chance to kind of capitalize on some teams that don't really throw the ball all that well, and and that's been part of it defensively. This is the game uh, for me where where Georgia's secondary has to show up because I think they've got to turn Kentucky over. And I've picked this guy before, and, and he kind of let me down, didn't have a big game. J.R. Reed played better instead. Richard LeCount. And listen, the, the, the touchdown last week in South Carolina, not on Richard LeCount. All right, the, the 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 touchdown against Tennessee, partially on Richard LeCount. Kirby Smart said it over and over again. It was just a big play. I think that he's doing such an incredible job of coming up and playing near the line of scrimmage. He's a much more reliable tackler, and I think he steps in front of one or two passes in this game. From Whether it's, whether it's Bowden, whether it's uh, Sawyer-Smith, one way or the other, I think he steps in front of a pass and has a big game. I always look whenever you've got a shaky passing game 
I always look towards the safeties because those guys are the ones that can read eyes and and uh, break on a ball whenever a, a quarterback locks onto a receiver. And I think LeCount has will have an opportunity to do that in this one. Not just that, but he's going to be the he's going to have to be the guy that comes up and stops you know, Bowden on some of these scrambles and things like that where, where you know, to kind of force a third down or a fourth down when, when Georgia really needs it. So those are the two players I'm looking at, and those are the two things I'm looking at, uh, both offensively and defensively. And, uh, uh, Rusty, wrap us up here. What do you got? You know, I, you mentioned you touched on it a little bit, but I went back and watched uh, yesterday just for a second uh, some of the uh, Missouri game last year and and, and Kentucky game. Georgia used Adam Anderson on second and third down a lot as a spy. You see that speed last week of, 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 of making that play late in the game and chasing the quarterback down from behind. So I'm expecting to see a lot more of Adam Anderson this weekend. Now, whose minutes he cuts into, I don't know. But when you take him at that inside linebacker position as a spy against an athletic quarterback, that's the matchup you want. So – defensively a player that I think you're going to see a lot of and he has a lot of opportunity to make some big plays, some big negative plays this weekend is Adam Anderson. Now, when I go look at the whole picture tomorrow, the weather is what I'm watching because, you know, here we are Friday morning taping this and it's gotten worse. They're calling for two and a half inches of rain now in the Athens area in about an 18-hour period. So that is a lot of soaking rain. Uh, they're saying it's going to end around 9 p.m. tomorrow. How does that affect uh, the passing game? You know, How does that affect what Georgia's game plan has been and what they've tried to work on this week? Because we all know when you get into a sloppy field, uh, if that's the case, then you start, getting, you start handing the ball off and trying to move people and, and, and able to, uh, you know, cut down on chances of a wet ball slipping through somebody's hands or something like that or not being at, you know, listen, I don't have, we don't have the time, but you want to talk about hand size. This is a time that the NFL scouts are going to evaluate something like Jake Fromm in weather, in wind, uh, the bigger picture of things. So I'm very interested in how Georgia, what based off what the weather does, how they attack Kentucky offensively because we probably would have seen a lot more open things, but if it's really this bad with some wind and things, I don't know that Georgia can do that. So you start looking at special teams, you know, what quarter will you have the wind behind you for field goals against you, that type of thing. Uh, it, it all goes in, it, it changes the game a little bit tomorrow, but uh, you know, if it does, it becomes a man on man game. I still like Georgia there. Uh, I would think DeAndre Swift is going to get a lot of touches at that point. So I'll go with him as my player of the game. I'll go with Adam Anderson. chance to make several negative plays, I would believe, because I just don't know that Kentucky, regardless of weather, is going to say, hey, we just, we've just we got to try to run it right at Georgia. That's not going to be their game. So uh, I'll go DeAndre Swift based off what I'm seeing and hearing for weather. And I'll take Adam Anderson as a guy that I think is going to get in the games based off what I've seen uh, Georgia do with packages on him. I think he'll be in on more than third downs uh, to, to to make some negative plays. All right, let's let's move on. Last last little segment, last little part of the show here. Uh, we're going to talk about some games that that we're looking at. 
uh, this week. Uh, not necessarily breaking them down because there's not really that that SEC game that we're super familiar with. Even though you know Florida and South Carolina play, that's not going to be one of mine. So you know, heads up, guys, if you want to pick that one. Uh, but but I'm going to go first here. Uh, Michigan Penn State has me really intrigued. I think that's the marquee game of the week. I think that may be where College Game Day is at. I'm not sure. Uh, but you know, number seven versus number sixteen. Um, fully expect a very defensive battle there. I think Penn State's going to have a wide out. I think this is a big game for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I, I really like Penn State's defense. I really like Michigan's defense. Both of those teams have incredible front seven football players. They're really fast. It kind of reminds me of some of those Auburn LSU games from from the early 2000s, mid-2000s there, where they just had some defensive slobber knockers, and I think that one's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, sadly, I'll be in the press box. I won't get to watch many, much of it uh, because the Georgia's kickoff is at 6, and that one's at 730 uh, so, so that's one I'll be keeping an eye on as well. Uh, another one that I'm interested to see is is Missouri Vanderbilt, and this is why Vanderbilt is in a bad spot right now. They are in a horrible spot. Got their pants sn- yanked down by by uh, UNLV, took them behind the woodshed, grabbed a thorny switch, and just marked them up. And so that you know Vanderbilt is in an ugly, ugly spot right now. Almost no chance to make a bowl game. Missouri's rolling. A little bit and I I just wonder because Vanderbilt does this once or twice a year where it kind of circles the wagons and it just throws a few haymakers and it plays well Missouri's already shown you this year that they're a little bit vulnerable uh, to up and down play themselves with the loss to Wyoming and and kind of how that went down Uh, and this one's in Nashville I fully expect Missouri to win that game but just for the future of Derek Mason at Vanderbilt who I think is a phenomenal coach and listen I've had some dealings with Derek Mason at different coaching events and everything like that, you won't find a classier, better dude in the world. It makes you root for him a little bit. He is one of the best guys you'll ever come across. And uh, just for kind of the future of the SEC, coaching turnover, things like that, and also just getting a look at Missouri and how Missouri's growing as a football team, those are two games that that, that I'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, and, and we'll get to our picks after we all kind of share what games we're looking at. But, Rusty, what games are you watching? I'll go with um, Oregon at Washington, just for the Jacob Eason factor to see where he is. Uh, you know, it's kind of a lot of publicity. You know, I listen to a lot of talk radio, and Oregon, it's almost like talk radio is dying for a team out west to be in the discussion, uh, to get there. You know, in fact, I heard somebody say yesterday the Pac 12 still has a chance to get in the playoff, which was, I mean, I didn't wreck, but it didn't help things. Um, uh, Oregon is that team, and I think going in, and they're going into Washington. Uh, you know, probably the best defense that, that Jacob Eason will face. Uh, he's had he had a hell of a game last week, so that game really. And you know, I talked about Clemson earlier. Um, you know, they're going to Louisville, which I'm. You know, Louisville doesn't have the the, the bullets to beat them, but neither did North Carolina. They almost did. Kind of want to see if. You know, if that was Clemson-South Carolina game that they escaped and they won that, or if they're going to have another tight one at Louisville, which they shouldn't, kind of want to see where they're at because if they go up there and handle business, I know that Clemson is, is on their, their focus and on their track, but if they go up there and have a 31-24 a to 24 win, 
Um, maybe it's not what we think Clemson is. So interested in that game. Where, where is Jacob Eason against probably the best team he's going to play? Is Oregon a, really a contender? And can uh, Clemson go up there and handle business against Louisville? Because I just really felt like that Clemson is, is, is on the path to the playoff and has the easiest path of anybody. So Louisville come off a big win at Wake Forest. We'll see how that game goes. Kip, uh, well, what's your dynamic duo for this week? I mean, I, I'll be honest. I'm going to watch that Florida-South Carolina game. South Carolina gets, you know, now a taste of its own medicine. They get that noon kickoff, uh, emotional win for them, a physical win. And I think it's really two teams that are kind of kind of beaten up right now just because of the, the teams they've had to play. I mean, Florida is, is coming off of playing Auburn and LSU. And, and I think that we've, we've seen a lot from, from Kyle Trask. He's shown that, you know, he can, he can play in shootouts. He, you know, he, he threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns against LSU. I think that when you look at South Carolina secondary, other than the fact that they had a guy and, and have a play out of his mind in a game and have three interceptions, you know, otherwise that secondary, you know, people have been able to throw the ball on them. Uh, I think Kelly Bryant kind of dinked and ducked on them, and Alabama, North Carolina have pushed the ball deep on them. So I think that Kyle Trash should be able to, you know, to to play well against them. And at the same time, you got to pay attention to Ryan Helensky. How's that knee? You know, he's going to be playing in a knee brace. And I think when you have that Florida pass rush that I believe is also banged up, if you have Jonathan, you know, Greenard and, and Jabari out there healthy. Those guys can kind of bring the heat. So I, I think that, you know, it's going to be kind of a grinded out game w- with two teams coming off, you know, emotional games. And it, it's something that, you know, South Carolina needs this to be another kind of slobber knocker, sloppy overall offensive football game. I don't think, you know, that's going to happen. I think that, you know, this, this Florida secondary is going to control the game throughout. I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to, to push the ball down the field. And I think that Florida is going to be able to have long drives and, and be able to come out with maybe a 10-point win and go into the bye week getting ready for Georgia in a, a, you know, a huge game in Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, the other game for me is obviously I think the, the game that Rusty t- talked about, just that Oregon-Washington game. There's going to be – I mean, how many NFL scouts are going to be there? These teams are going to be picking in the top five, top ten – coming out to watch a couple guys that have a chance to potentially be top 10 picks in Jacob Eason and, and Justin Herbert, you know, a guy that has only thrown, I think, one interception in 194 throws. And I, I think that's that's a game where you're going to come out to see two quarterbacks, but I, I think it's going to end up being a game where these teams focus on the, on the ground game and, and Washington, you know, has a chance to maybe run for 200 yards uh, on on Oregon, so I, I don't think that's going to be a shootout as people might think with these two quarterbacks. I think that's just going to be again a grinded out game, and I think that in the end, uh, Oregon's going to have a little bit too much uh, for Washington to be able to handle, and, and that's going to be a big game for them, kind of keeping their hopes alive for for playing in a big game at the end of the year. All right, let's pick uh, Georgia Kentucky. I tend to go last. I'm going to go first on this one. The weather, I'm with Rusty on that. I think the weather has a big effect on this game. Um, but I think that Georgia uh, 
it, it I think Georgia benefits from it most. I mean, if, if this becomes kind of a grinded out, wear you down, um, have to run right at you type of game, I think Georgia is definitely uh, more, uh, you know, equipped to be able to handle that on both lines of scrimmage. I think one thing that's kind of gotten lost in this season is, is how well Trey Scott has Georgia's defensive line playing right now. And I really like how, how it has performed. Um, but but I, I think the weather is going to make this a little more lower scoring. I think the hand-wringing over Georgia's offense and opening it up is going to continue because I don't think many people are going to be concerned about how wet and how windy it is. And, uh, and that's fine. I think Georgia will, will have its chance to see if to show people that, that it has fixed some things in the passing game later on, whether it has or not, and I don't know. Uh, but, but I think Georgia controls this game. Um, I think Georgia comes out and plays really well. Catching Georgia at a time you didn't want to catch Georgia at, a lot of intangibles in terms of focus and, uh, and motivation and fire and, and hunger on Georgia's side in this one. I, I'm going to take Georgia uh, because I think they're going to have to kick a couple, two or three field goals in this. So I'm going to take Georgia 30, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of bouncing forth between a couple of scores on Kentucky. But I'm going to take Georgia 30 to 10 in this. I think Georgia controls it and and plays well throughout. I don't think there's ever really a a, a part of the game where you're thinking Kentucky is has Georgia's backs against the wall or has Georgia on the ropes. And 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 Georgia kind of uh, kind of is in the in the in clean air all game long. If you want to use a NASCAR term, uh, what's your pick, Rusty? I, I I had thirty to ten. I mean, dead serious. Um, and I'll say why I had thirty to ten is I do think the weather's going to affect this thing. Uh, you know, people do not want to hear this, but you know, when you Kirby Smart and you start thinking, you know, if we have the wind behind us, just say the second fourth quarter, you start taking your shots there, uh, your kicks. Uh, the first and third, if you're into the wind and it's bad, you know, what do you do offensively? So, and Jake, you're right, man. This is probably going to piss some people off, but, you know, the weather seems to be like it's going to change the game plan for, 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 for at least Georgia, in my opinion, because they can run and throw. Uh, you know, I certainly think Kentucky's going to try to be, make some athletic plays and with, with those guys and keep it spread out as much as they can because, they can't line up shoe to shoe and, and try to run right at Georgia. That's not that's not their game. So, um, you know, I just think that this game is more about Georgia, and can they uh, just get back to uh, just just moving bodies and, and making some plays when 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 the they can. And uh, you know, I I'm interested still to see like you you know what you said, Jake. Can they just throw some? Can they throw some fifty-fifty balls to George Pickens? Let's see what he can do there. Uh, he's a matchup problem. And, and another thing I'll watch too is punt returns. We don't, you know, we we, we talked about so much. Oh um, man, that that that's going to be huge, man. Who who can field the punts? Who can field the punts? And and you know, are they going punt safe with with Dominic Blaylock? Because you know, after the fumble early in the season by. Tyler Simmons, it looks like to be the Blaylock has taken that job. And, you know, I've seen Dom play several times and, uh, you know, I've seen him run a kickback. I've seen him run a punt back. I saw him run a reverse back last year against Pope out of the wing. And he, I mean, he must have broke 15 tackles to score. So I'm interested to see if they turn him loose and who can feel the punts clean because everything in the air tomorrow night, if the weather is what they're saying, everybody's going to hold their breath. But I got Georgia. 30 as well, Kentucky 10. Uh, I just think it'll be one of those grinded out, 
Georgia finishes off and gets ready for Florida game. All right, Kip. Uh, 30 to 10. That's got to be your pick. You know, I was I was really coming in ready to pick 30 to 10, but I don't like being the – when you guys both said it, that, that spooked me, man. I, I'm going to go 31-10. <laughs> 31. There's Woo! no way. Man, Kip, Kip went off the reservation. Yeah, I, I think you, you got to get Rod back in there, and and and, and he's going to have a kick that you know kind of boost him up after what you know happened last week, and him not getting the chance in regulation, and then you know having the tough miss the the end the game as well. You know, I, I think he gets a chance to to get back on the you know on the right track, and he's still one of the best kickers in the country in this game. You guys mentioned it about the the punt return. That was going to be my point of of emphasis. I think it's an opportunity for Dominic Blaylock to uh, to make something happen. And you got to point out that Kentucky's kicker Max Duffy, I mean their punter, he's the best in the country in, in punts this year. He's averaging over fifty yards a punt, which is just incredible. Uh, so he, that has to be a factor in this game. The fact that they got a guy out there that can flip the field in a game where we might see a lot of drives bogged down. That's a real big key for, for Kentucky. You can't let them do that to you. So I, that's my that, my key in this game is Dominic Blayock. If he's back there, you know, is, is he just, he might not be able to just call that fair catch all the time. They might need some yards there because they might be trying to pin them deep and, and, again, flip the field over and over again and give themselves a couple of opportunities to, you know, pin Georgia back and, kind of uh, make the, the offense as one-dimensional as possible. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. I think that Georgia is going to be able to run the ball effectively. Uh, and the, the thing I'm really wanting to see is, it, you know, if Georgia can can contain Lynn Bowden. I think, you know, coming off a game where they didn't really get to the quarterback well, uh, I think that that's something that, you know, I'm watching. You know, if they're going to put Devod Wilson, if they're going to put – you know, a guy like Adam Anderson on him or, or Tay Crowder, uh, he's got to be able to tackle him in space one-on-one, and that's going to be the key to this football game. I think that Georgia is going to be able to do that uh, fairly well and and hold Kentucky, again, like I said, to 10 points. We all kind of agree on that as far as, you know, just Georgia's defense being able to take care of business for the most part. And I think that they get it going with, with the run game and, and – maybe get a pass or two downfield to Pickens, but I think there's still something that they, they have to go into the bye week and kind of, uh, you know, maybe take a, a closer look at this offense and see what they're going to be able to do as far as attacking other parts of the field and not relying on those 50-50 balls as much as, as they have this season. All right, you've got our picks, 30-10, to 30-10, 31-10. to 10, 31 to 10. Uh, It's a pretty little tight group in there. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty incredible right there. Three arrows right there in the same spot. Uh, we'll have this game covered for you. Uh, we'll have uh, any kind of recruiting news that comes out of this game covered for you. Uh, we'll be with you next week during the bye week uh, trying to find some unique stuff to, to bring to the podcast as, as we kind of all get a chance to exhale for the second time this year. Uh, but until then, um, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me have been Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys later on. Everybody take care. Stay dry on Saturday.
This show is fire country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale tonight, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.